0: Well, good morning, New Day. Good morning. So good to see you guys. Thanks so much for coming out. A big thank you to everyone who's tuned in online. However, you're joining us, I'm really glad that you're here. For those of you who are new right now as a church, we're studying through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, I chose to go ahead and study through the Gospel of Matthew because of the four Gospels, there's no other Gospel that teaches us more uh, about the subject of discipleship, what it truly means to follow Jesus. And in our study of Matthew, I'm really happy today to be at Matthew chapter 16, Verses 24 to 28, because in these particular verses, uh, we come to the very core, to the very essence of discipleship. There's probably uh, no more important teaching on this subject than in the passage we're studying today. So, again, we're in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 28, and our theme today, let's say it out loud, our theme today is death to self. Death to self. A couple months back, I went to a friend's house to see their newly planted garden right in the front of their house. They planted catmint and black-eyed Susans and hydrangeas and hostas. And let me tell you, talk about curb appeal. My wife and I are very pragmatic people. So when we moved in, we systematically removed all the beautiful flowers that the previous owners had planted, because we really didn't want to keep up on the maintenance. And I never noticed how drab our property looked until I went to my friend's house and saw the great job that they had done with their yard. So lately, I've been learning a lot about plants. Anytime I'm going to do something new, I just begin researching it like crazy. And so I've been learning a lot about plants, and I've been slowly but surely updating the landscape in our yard, uh, which has not only helped our curb appeal, but has also been a a lot of fun for me doing all the research. Of all the stuff that I've learned, and believe me when I say I have learned a lot, of all that I've learned, what's been most interesting to me is this reality, the life of a beautiful plant only comes about as the result of the death of its seed. Now that was a mouthful, so I'm going to say it again. The life of a beautiful plant only comes about as the result of the death of its seed. You say, Mike, in what sense does a seed die? Well, the outer shell of the seed breaks open, allowing the roots to grow down and allowing the shoots uh, to head up towards the light. The seed essentially dies or, or disintegrates as it gives rise to new life in the form of a new plant. And so from death comes life. From death comes life. Now, I want you to keep that little saying in your mind as we study through our passage today. From death comes life. So here we go. We're diving into Matthew 16, verses 24 to 28. We see four things in our passage, the first of which is the matter. If you're taking notes, here's your first fill in the blank. The first thing we see in our text is the matter. The key to understanding this passage today is to properly discern what it is that's being discussed. And that's what Jesus addresses in the first part of verse 24, where he says this, if anyone would come after me. Here, Jesus is announcing the topic that he's about to teach on. He says, if anyone would come after me. And in context, to come after Jesus means that you would come after him seeking to obtain the salvation of your soul. So that's what's being discussed. That is the matter at hand. Jesus today in our passage is going to share what's required of someone who would come to him for salvation. Now that we've seen the matter, let's note the second thing we see in our text, which is this, the mandate, the mandate. And we see this in the second part of verse 24. Jesus says, if anyone would come to me for salvation and receive it, here's what he needs to do as evidence of his inward faith. He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'll grant to you salvation, you know, if you feel like doing these things. He says, this is what someone must do. You see, it's a mandate. It's a command. It's not optional. It has to happen. And though salvation comes as the result of faith, it is the three things that Jesus lists here that are the outward evidence of our inward saving faith. So let's take a look at it. Discipleship that saves, first of all, must be marked by denying. Denying. Because each of us was born with a sinful nature, uh, we all have within us the impulse to resist the rule of Christ over our life. Uh, What did we sing today? Jesus, Lord of all. We just finished singing that. Well, that's not the way in which we wake up in the morning. Oh, let's let Jesus be Lord of my life. We wake up day after day after day, wanting to be Lord of our own life. In the words of the English poet, William Ernest Henley, we want to be the master of our fate and the captain of our soul. But the kind of discipleship that saves appoints Jesus as both master and captain. If Jesus is the captain, that makes us his sailors. If Jesus is the master, that makes us his servant. And in the same way that a captain uh, is in authority over his sailors, and in the same way that the master of a house is in authority over his servants, so Jesus is in authority over us, and that's the way it needs to be if we are to become recipients of salvation but our sinful nature will always cause us to have that ungodly impulse on the inside to usurp Christ's rightful place in our lives. But the discipleship that saves must deny that impulse. So number one, the discipleship that saves must be characterized by denying. Number two, Jesus says, hey, secondly, the kind of discipleship that saves must also be characterized by dying. Not just denying, but also by dying. When Jesus says that the one coming to him for salvation must take up his cross, understand that that is a picture of death. It's been estimated that during the time of Christ, there were some 30,000 crucifixions uh, performed uh, under uh, the leadership of Rome during the life of Christ. So anyone who would have heard Jesus say, uh, take up your cross, that was such a common picture in Jesus's day. And, And anyone who heard that would have said, oh, okay, he's talking about dying. Now, the question begs, uh, what specifically are we as followers of Jesus to die to? Some have misunderstood this passage to mean that, hey, we are to die as martyrs for Jesus. And while it's 100% true that we need to be willing to follow Jesus, even unto the point of death, that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is not dying physically. He's talking about dying to self. He's talking about dying to that impulse we have to rule our own lives, Uh, the impulse that we have to indulge our sinful desires, the impulse that we have to make life about the fulfillment of our own desires over and above making life about the fulfillment of Christ's desires. That Jesus's primary focus isn't on dying physically is brought out really well in Luke's parallel account of this same event where he includes this nice detail about the true disciple of Jesus. Luke says the true disciple of Jesus is to take up his cross. What's that say? Daily. Daily. That's a nice little detail because it helps us to understand what Jesus is getting at here. We can't die physically on a daily basis, but we certainly can die to self on a daily basis. And so we see that true discipleship, the kind of discipleship that saves, it doesn't only, uh, it's not only characterized by denying, it is secondly characterized by dying. Thirdly, Jesus says it is also characterized by complying. Complying. Jesus says we must deny ourselves, we must take up our cross, and then he says, thirdly, we must follow him. And friends, to follow Jesus means to follow him in discipleship, which means we follow his words and his ways. So what Jesus is speaking of here uh, is an obedient life. Hence, the third point being discipleship that saves is characterized by complying, by living an obedient life. How many of you like me grew up playing Simon Says? All right, I think it's a pretty well-known game. A leader is chosen among a group of kids, and then that leader is dubbed Simon. And Simon's job is to try to trick everyone else. So say, Simon says, touch your nose, everyone touches their nose. Simon says, touch your elbow, everyone touches their elbow. And then they say, touch your knee. And a bunch of kids will go ahead and touch their knee, even though Simon didn't say so. And those kids are eliminated, And the game goes on like this, eliminating one kid after another until there's one person left who is declared the winner. At a high level, the goal of Simon says is to carefully follow Simon's instructions as to avoid being eliminated. And friends, that's just a beautiful picture of the Christian life. We're to carefully follow Jesus's instructions as to not be eliminated as a recipient of heaven. And understand, if we say that Jesus is Lord, but we don't follow his instructions, being eliminated from heaven, that is exactly what happens. As Jesus himself put it in Matthew chapter seven, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. So according to Jesus, the Christian life, it's not nearly as much about confession, saying Jesus is Lord, it's much more about compliance, obeying Jesus's commands as the external evidence of our inward faith. So in sum, Jesus says that the kind of discipleship that results in salvation Is characterized by denying, by dying, and by complying. This is his mandate. It's his requirement for his disciples. Now that we've looked at the mandate, I want you to note the third thing that we see in our text, which we're going to call the motivation. The motivation. Jesus 100% knows that what he's asking is difficult. He's saying, deny yourself. Now, friends, real quick, what does Satan through culture teach? Satan teaches that the number one objective of life is to indulge yourself, not to deny yourself. So Jesus understands how uh, against the grain this goes, how countercultural this goes. And that's why in verses 25 to 27, he gives us four different motivations for obeying his command to deny ourselves, to die to ourselves, and instead follow him. So let's look at those four motivations. The first way that Jesus motivates us to die to self is through the peril of loss, the peril of loss. Jesus says in the first part of verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. So he's talking about the peril of loss. And unfortunately, some people are not motivated uh, to do anything until they're threatened with the peril of loss. It's kind of like this. Uh, Years back, my kids were having real big trouble uh, remembering to turn the lights off in their rooms when they would leave. And I just like about went crazy till I was ready to bang my head against the wall trying to get them to comply. And I finally just said, you know what? I guess it's come to this. Monetary fine anytime I see that your light has been left on. (laughs) Parents, this is the best idea ever, by the way. I'm just saying. So when they acted as if electricity didn't cost money, and left their lights on, I began to find them. Now, it was so interesting. When there was no monetary fine, nobody had the ability to remember. As soon as I began charging them, and they began losing some of that hard-earned cash, amazingly, everyone suddenly, overnight, had the ability to remember. <laughs> Isn't that amazing how that works? Unfortunately, it wasn't good enough for, hey, would you mind just, you know, turning your light off? That didn't get me anywhere. But when threatened with the peril of loss, that's when I got somewhere. Jesus knows how motivating the peril of loss can be. And that's why the first of his four motivators is the peril of loss. You're going to lose out on heaven if you don't meet the requirements of discipleship. Okay. Number two, Not only does he motivate us to die to self through the peril of loss, secondly, he motivates us to die to self through the prospect of gain. In the second part of verse 25, Jesus says this, hey, forever, uh, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, friends, in the Bible, to find life is to find true life. And to find true life means to find heaven, to find eternal life. So whereas in our last point, Jesus motivated through the threat of hell, here he motivates through the prospect of heaven. When I began charging my kids money for leaving their lights on, we solved the problem for the most part for about one year's time. But guess what happened after about a year went by? Everyone began forgetting again to turn the lights off. So I said, oh, what is, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I, I thought we were doing good, but you know what? I guess we got to change the motivation for doing it. And so this time, instead of leading with the stick, this time I led with the carrot. This time, instead of threatening punishment, this time I proposed the prospect of gain. And I said, listen, if we can hit this certain goal at the end of the month with our bill, we're going to do a big family pizza party. And you say, Mike, you got like five kids, right? And a wife, like, isn't that going to be a lot of money? Let me tell you, I could do five pizza parties and it would be a fraction of the cost of the electricity bill. (laughs) So I was happy to go ahead and offer this big reward for compliance. And this too highly motivated the kids. And God knows that his children sometimes are also highly motivated by the prospect of reward. So he doesn't just motivate through, uh, you know, the peril of loss, but also through the prospect of gain. Jesus, though, graciously gives us yet another motivation. So the third way, if you're still taking notes, that Jesus motivates us to die to self, something that's very hard to do, is through the power of reason. Now, I got to tell you, I'm a very logical person. This one here, for me personally, super motivating. And I think Jesus knows that we're each wired a little different. And so he gives these various motivators, depending on who we are, we'll have something that will motivate us to do the hard thing that every true disciple of Jesus must do, which is to die to self. But all that to say, the third motivator to die to self that Jesus gives is the power of reason. Jesus says in verse 26, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Here Jesus is reasoning with would-be disciples. He's saying, so what if you attain every single thing this world has to offer? Immense wealth, material possessions, fame, power. So what if you obtain it all if You have to obtain it at the cost of your soul. He said, oh, you might look like the winner in the short run, but in the long run, you're not the winner, you're the loser. Because if you don't have heaven, what you're left with is hell. Friends, it's like this. Alex is a workaholic. He's deeply ambitious, so he pours himself fully into his work, often sacrificing rest and leisure activities and quality time with his family. And all because of his laser focus, you better believe he begins rising the corporate ladder. He accumulates wealth and prestige and recognition. And from the outside, it looks like he is winning. But over time, the personal costs of his relentless pursuit of success begin to add up due to neglecting his health He experiences chronic stress and burnout and heart problems. And his laser focus on success begins hurting his family relationships as well. He neglects his wife. He ignores his kids. It leads to divorce with his wife and estrangement from his kids. Now, because he's not solid with his family, he feels empty and isolated and dissatisfied, even though he's surrounded by the nicest material possessions. And he comes to the sad realization that the pursuit of his material success came at the expense of his overall well-being and happiness. So in this example, whatever supposed success Alex has uh, achieved, it came at a cost that just wasn't worth it. And that's Jesus' whole point. So what if you gain the whole world If you do so at the expense of your soul, it would not be worth it. Look with me now at verse 26, where Jesus continues reasoning with us. He says, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And what Jesus is doing in this verse is highlighting for us the inestimable value of a soul. What he's saying, in other words, is let's pretend you did achieve all this world has to offer. Let's pretend you had all that stuff, and your bank account was just how you want it to be, flush with cash instead of going right out to pay the electricity bill because your kids can't remember to leave the lights on. Let's pretend you had it all. Do you think that you would now have enough to exchange it for the salvation of your soul? And he goes, no way. What are you, crazy? Crazy. Do you not understand the inestimable value, the inestimable value of your soul? And in comparison to all the things of this world that you could accumulate, I mean, that value is down here. The salvation of your soul is way up here. So he's reasoning with us. You should die to self because nothing is more important than the salvation of your soul. Finally, number four, Jesus motivates us to die to self, lastly, through the promise of judgment, through the promise of judgment. Jesus says in verse 27, for the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father. And then when he comes, he will repay each person according to what he has done. So here Jesus is referencing the time of his second coming when he returns to establish his kingdom and judge the world. This is the time Jesus spoke of when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. So that's the repayment that Jesus is talking about, either eternal life or judgment. And all of history is marching towards this time of judgment. We live, we die, and then comes judgment. Now, this motivator cuts both ways. If you're a believer, it motivates you to keep serving the Lord. But if you're not currently a disciple of Jesus, it motivates you to start serving the Lord because in the end of all things, it's either judgment or eternal life, eternal condemnation or eternal life. So you see, Jesus here is asking us to do something very hard. Deny yourself, die to yourself. And he knows how hard it is, and that's why in verses 25 to 27, he gives us four reasons uh, to motivate us to obey his command. The peril of loss, the prospect of gain, the power of reason, and the promise of judgment. Now, anytime I have subpoints, you know I like to do a quick review, just so that no one's lost along the way. So can we just review what we've covered so far before I introduce our last point? First, we covered the matter, what is being discussed in this passage, which is what Jesus requires of someone who comes to him to be saved. Secondly, we covered the mandate. We need to die to self. And as we make the decision on a daily basis to die to self, that is the outward evidence of our inward saving faith. Third, we looked at the motivation and we just covered them. There's four Four reasons to do the difficult thing that Jesus has told us to do. But friends, now that we've seen the matter and the mandate and the motivation, let's note the fourth and final thing we see in our text, and we'll call this one the manifestation. The manifestation. Look with me at verse 28. Jesus says here to his disciples, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. Here, Jesus gives the promise to his disciples that some of them, not all of them, rather some of them will see a manifestation of the glory in which he will return at the time of his second coming. And that's the very thing we see next week as we move into chapter 17, particularly in verses 1 to 13, where some of Jesus' disciples, Peter, James, and John, see Jesus transfigured, meaning they see him in his glorified form. They see him in all the glory in which he will return at the time of his second coming. Now, you might be going, Mike, I do not understand how in the world verse 28 fits into the flow of what we've already covered in this passage. Well, don't miss it. Let me explain. Jesus has told his disciples, die to self, deny yourself, follow me. And if you do, I will save your soul. And at the time of the resurrection from the dead, when I return in all the glory of my father, at the time of my second coming... To give people either eternal life or eternal damnation, you will not be eternally damned. You will be granted citizenship in my eternal kingdom. This is what he's been talking uh, to his disciples about the kingdom of heaven. And now in verse 28, he says, in essence, and to prove to you that such a kingdom exists, I'm going to give some of you, not all of you, but some of you a preview of the glory in which I will reign in my coming kingdom. And you're going to see this preview before you die. And again, that's exactly what we see next week in chapter 17 verses 1 to 13. So don't think this is an out-of-place verse. It actually fits perfectly in today's text and then doubly serves as a beautiful preview and setup for the text we're covering next week. Okay. Now we've worked our way through the text and now we understand what it means. So now let's switch gears and talk about how to apply it to our lives. Through this text, Jesus calls on each of us to evaluate if we're practicing the kind of discipleship that results in salvation. So so this assumes that there's a kind of discipleship that people follow that doesn't result in the salvation of our souls. And that is precisely the case. Jesus often talks about what is genuine and what is false because there's a version of discipleship that's not biblical, and many people follow it. That's why Jesus had to say, not everyone who calls me Lord is gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. Some people call me Lord, but they're practicing a false version of discipleship. Oh, friends, if you've tuned out for any portion of the sermon, please, I beg you, tune back in. Because this is so important. Of the four gospels, Matthew's gospel teaches us the most about discipleship. And in all of Matthew's gospel, there is nothing more important about discipleship than is being taught here. If anyone would come to Jesus for salvation, he must practice the kind of discipleship that is characterized by denying, by dying, and by complying. So let me give you some application questions to help you evaluate where you're at with this. Question number one, are you denying what you want for what Jesus wants? Let's just get like super practical and I'll give you a bunch of examples. You might want to use all your money for self. But what God wants is that 10% of what we have goes towards the gospel preaching ministry of the local church. So here you are with what you want, and then here we are with what God wants. And when those two things compete as they often do, who wins, you or God? You might want to use your Sunday to do chores, to do yard work, to little little R&R, much deserved R&R after a long work week. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, we are instructed as followers of Jesus not to neglect the gathering together of believers. In other words, we're to prioritize time for church. Thank God today we can do that in person, we can do that online, it's amazing, but we are to prioritize church. So here we are with what we want, and then here we are with what God wants. And when those two things compete with each other, who wins? The latest stat that I've heard is that people now attend church one time a month. Meaning, we often go ahead and prioritize what we want over and above what God wants. Church, I think that should change because we must have the discipleship that is marked and characterized by denying let's use this example. Every day we wake up and we have sinful desires. One day we're going to have a glorified body and there'll be nothing within uh, our body itself that sin can appeal to. And then we will live in perfect holiness. But on this side of eternity, every day, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak and we will be tempted towards sin. So when that temptation comes, we have what we want, gratify the sinful desire. And then we have what God wants, say no to sin, say yes to him. And when, Those two desires compete. Who wins? As the normal pattern of our life, who wins? I could go on and on and on with example after example, but I think you get the point. Are you denying yourself? Application question number two is this. Are you dying to self? You can live for self or you can die to self. Which are you doing? Every day, we're going to have that impulse to be the ruler over our own life. So every day we have to pray, God, please help me. God, I can't wait one day to get to heaven. I won't have the struggle anymore. But here we are on earth. And I know today, I'm going to want to be the ruler of my life. I'm going to want to be the captain of my ship. I'm going to be one of the master. I'm going to, be, I'm going to want to be the master of my life, not you. So God, I just pray for your help. Help me today to die to self. So many people say, oh, I would die for Jesus physically if it ever came to that. I would die for him physically. He said, how about you start practicing just dying to yourself on a daily basis? And then we could talk about whether or not you could die for me physically one day. Friends, if we can't die to ourselves on a daily basis, how in the world are we ever going to die physically? Heaven forbid we ever came to such a place whereas we had to choose. So Jesus says, die to yourself daily. Finally, application question number three is this. Are you showing God a pattern of obedience? It's not about perfection. It's about direction. It's not, oh, I made a mistake. I'm not going to heaven. I'm a false disciple. No, every single one of us makes mistakes. Regularly, unfortunately, way too often than we'd like to admit, unfortunately. But thank God it's not about perfection. It's about direction. But make no mistake about it. God's looking down from heaven. He is observing. The Bible says in the Old Testament, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So he's watching and he's looking not for perfection, but he's looking for an overall pattern of obedience. And I'm asking you, is that what he's seeing in your life? And friends, if he's not, be concerned. Because the one who would come to him for salvation must deny, die, comply. Now, if you're not happy with your responses to these three questions, if as a pattern you indulge self versus deny self, if as a pattern you live for self versus die to self, then what I would recommend is grabbing a hold of whichever of the four motivators motivates you the most. Some are motivated by the thought of loss. Others are motivated by the thought of gain. Some are most motivated by reason. Others are most motivated by fear. Well, wherever you're at today, Jesus has something for everyone and he gives us each at least one motivator because the Lord is not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So he's got something here for everyone. And friends, he wants us to deny and he wants us to die and he wants us to follow him so that we can become recipients of eternal life. And that is the heart of this passage. Jesus wants us to die to self that we might find true life. Remember what I told you earlier about plants? The life of a beautiful plant only comes about as the result of the death of its seed. Likewise, eternal life, salvation from sin, it only comes as the result of the death of its recipient. To live, we must die. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. And in this way, from death comes life. From death comes life. And if you want that life today, true life, eternal life, let's just get you squared away with God before you leave. Can we do that? Would you pray with me? Wherever you are online, out in the foyer, or right here in the auditorium, Would you bow your head and close your eyes and not out loud, but in your heart, would you say something along these lines to God? Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for being very clear about the kind of discipleship that results in salvation. Today, I forsake all other forms of discipleship and I willingly embrace the kind that Jesus taught. Father, with your help, I will make what you want be the driving force of my life versus what I want. With your help, I will die to self on a daily basis, die to that desire to rule and reign over my life, instead allowing Jesus to sit and rule from the throne of my heart. With your help, I'll follow Jesus in discipleship, allowing you to see that pattern of obedience as the evidence of my saving faith. So today I ask you, forgive me of my sins. And today I appoint Jesus as Lord over my life. And today I humbly ask that you would grant me citizenship in his eternal kingdom. And it's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Mike. What a clear and powerful message today. I don't know about you, but I was taking notes. And when I was taking notes, I love the part that he said about Simon says. And in my notes, I just wrote, Jesus says. Simon says, we'll play the game. We'll do it every single time. But what if we lived as Christians that whatever Jesus says, we will do no matter what, no matter the cost, no matter what it is, what Jesus says. So if you just prayed that prayer today for the first time, you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're one of us that is a Christian. We've called ourselves Christians maybe many years, but the rules are the same. Whatever Jesus says is what must go. It's what we must do. There's no exception to that. What does Jesus say? But if you're new to faith and you just prayed that prayer for the very first time, how will you know what Jesus says if you don't have his word? And so what I'd like you to do is if you prayed that for the first time, just take a welcome card, it's near you somewhere, find it on the back of a seat by you. Let us know that you prayed that prayer, you accepted Jesus as Lord and savior. And then all you gotta do is take this card to guest services, turn it in. We're gonna give you a Bible. That's God's word. That's what Jesus says. And when we know his word, we can actually do that word. We can live it out on a daily basis. So if you're here, congratulations, you found life, eternal life. And now God has something for this life for you to do. And it's to follow after his word, follow after his ways. So make sure you take advantage of that if you're in person. If you're online, we want to get you a Bible as well. That's church online. We're so glad you joined us. Just use the QR code right now. If you just scan that, fill out that form, we will mail you a Bible. And maybe you're on your phone, so that's tricky to do. Just go into the chat right now, click the link. We will make sure we get a Bible sent to your house as long as you give us that information. And so congratulations if you've done it. No matter where you are and prayed that prayer, best decision you could have ever made. And here's the other thing. If you're a first time guest with us today, did you know that we have about 10 people every single week that come to our church for the very first time. And those are the ones that just tell us. We know some of you, you're just incognito. You're gonna get in here, you're gonna get out, you're never gonna let us know. But for those that let us know, 10 people every single week show up for the first time. We think that's actually a really big deal. So just thank you for coming if it was your first time. We hope you had the best time in church you've ever had. And before you leave, we want you to receive a gift. So just use that same welcome card, bring it to guest services, we'll hand you that gift. I'm not taking it, they won't give it to me. So it's for you. So make sure you just go get that gift. And if you're online, click the links that are provided for you right now. Use the QR code. We will mail you a gift. God bless you. Have an awesome week. And we will see you next Sunday. God bless.
0: Thanks for experiencing this message with us. Do you want more New Day Church in your life? Well, please like and subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Want to take a next step in your faith? Our Church Center app is the best place to get more connected. So just download the free app on your app store today and be sure to choose New Day Church in Enfield, Connecticut. We are able to offer this sermon and all others like it only because of your faithful financial support. Thank you to all of you who so faithfully give each week. If you feel led to support our ministry financially, just go to our website at newdaychurch.cc forward slash give. Thank you in advance. May God richly bless you and we hope to see you again real soon.